All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I'm joined today ahead of the Hoya's opening Big East game on Friday, I guess 6.30's night, Friday night. I've got here Xavier beat writer from the Cincinnati Enquirer, Adam Baum. Adam, welcome to D.C. Bobby, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, just uh, I just landed. It's raining pretty hard, but we got Big East basketball here, so I'm excited. Yes, very exciting time. The non-conference is finally over. Uh, I will say this. I'm welcoming you to D.C. from just outside of D.C. in Northern Virginia, and everyone listening does know that, but I don't want to get called out for that. So before mm-hmm. we get into this matchup, have you been to D.C. before? Do you have any sort of cool things planned um, before Friday's game? Yeah, so I uh, I think this is my fourth time coming to Georgetown. Um, I don't have anything planned, but normally, you know, I'm hoping that the weather's nicer tomorrow before the game and I can get out and sort of walk around and explore a little bit. That's that's generally what I do when I'm on the road. Is I just, you know, I get out and I walk and, and I see what I can find with my own legs. So I'm looking forward to that. You have like a you have like a personal step goal you're trying to break. You know that's interesting. You bring it up. Um, <laughs> I, I I like I like to hit ten thousand a day, but normally when I'm on the road, I feel like I, I generally get to like twenty to twenty five thousand, just because uh, you know I feel like what else am I going to do? Sit in my hotel room all day? So it's nice to it's nice to explore and get outside. Yeah, no, it feels good when you get over twenty. I'm not going to lie. I can't find my Fitbit at the yeah. moment, which is really ruining my uh, my uh, weekly challenge. Uh, but what are you going to do? So speaking of what are you going to do, Xavier is off to an 8-3 and three start. But before we get to that, can we just take it back to how last season ended and how you guys got to where you are? Travis Steele, who had obviously been with the program for a long time in different roles, uh, director of basketball operations, assistant coach, associate coach, coach. I think he was actually hired by Sean Miller. Um, you guys were sort of in a sort of a weird spot where you're not doing really well, but you're also not doing bad enough to where, you know, it's just, you know, terrible, but that's sort of the hardest part to be in the the hardest spot to be in. And after not making the tournament, maybe they would have made it in 2020, but probably not. Xavier made, in my opinion, a very ambitious move for a coaching change and the replacement was obvious. Can you kind of just tell me, you know, how that happened? Was it just strictly, they weren't making the tournament and then, you know, uh, how how risky is it to get to get Sean Miller? It seems like it's paying off so far. Yeah, so you know, I think when you look into what happened, really you got to go back to right when Travis started as the head coach because okay. this was a time when the season prior Xavier had won the Big East regular season championship. They were a one seed in the NCAA tournament. A few years before that, they made it to the Elite Eight. Yeah, and I. Xavier had made 16 of the previous 18 NCAA tournaments. So they were like essentially a perennial tournament team. The expectations had never been higher than they were at that moment in time, right then and there. And then Chris Mack leaves for Louisville, Travis Steele gets promoted. And so these expectations, I think they they really worked against Travis to a certain extent, because in, in a normal circumstance, if you didn't have all that, preluding this this new guy stepping into this role maybe maybe you could have given him a little more breathing room a little more of a longer leash but as it turned out you know he spent four years at Xavier as the head coach 
And it's kind of remarkable how similar the four seasons all went because there were his last three years, Xavier lost their last three games to close the regular season. And they lost in the first round of the Big East tournament all three years. And all three years they finished on the NCAA tournament bubble and they didn't make it in. And and there was sort of this prevailing feeling of like, man, are we ever are we gonna turn this corner? Or are you gonna take a team and have them get better over the course of the season and not really sort of slide backwards when it matters the most? So I think when you sort of peel back the layers there, you understand that there was some apprehension from the fan base that is this what we're going to be every year? Is this what we're going to become? Just a team that, that can come close but can't necessarily get there. Um, and I think that that was ultimately – that was that was what played into making the coaching move, was that, hey, look, you've had four shots at this, and in those four shots we couldn't get it done. And ultimately they, they decided to move on, which I didn't see it coming. Um, I thought – personally that he might get one more year so I was kind of taken aback especially the way that it happened because if you remember didn't it happen just after an NIT game yeah a game that they won so (laughs) you know it was selection Sunday they don't get in they accept the NIT bid Uh, two nights later they play in their NIT opener they beat Cleveland State at home and I think another thing was like no one hardly anyone showed up to that home game for the NIT and uh, and literally the very next morning after a win in which they extended their season, they fired Travis Steele. And that's really when things started amping up on the Sean Miller train. Um, and, and honestly, like you could write a book about that last month of, you know, they played Butler at Madison Square Garden in the first round of the Big East tournament. They were up 66 to 60 with 51 seconds left. And they lost that game in overtime. And and that essentially, I think, knocked them out of NCAA tournament contention. And then everything that happened after. So Travis got fired on a Wednesday, and Sean agreed to a deal on Saturday. So it happened super quick. And uh, and I don't think – I think that there was a a slight bit of apprehension going after Sean Miller just because of the unknown of it all. Like, hey, is he going to be suspended? What's the what's the reaction going to be to to hiring this guy who's got such a a colorful background, if you will? Um, but I think a, a big hurdle or a big a big reason that they got over that hurdle was the familiarity. Like there there's still people at Xavier who were there when Sean was previously the head coach. So there's relationships in place. It's a place that he knows well. His wife really likes it in Cincinnati. So I think there was a lot of momentum and a lot of things working in its favor as opposed to working against it. So they got the deal done, and, and here we are. Sean's 8-3, and three and three, uh, and I think Xavier's playing pretty well right now. So all in all, we'll see if uh, if they get back to the NCAA tournament. But they certainly were, as the word you used, was ambitious in the way that they, they approached all this. And then to go back even further, you know, basically the last day that college basketball was normal since maybe you could argue this year, or I guess maybe at some points last year, but it depended on where you were. But I remember in that 2020, um, the doubleheader, you know, Georgetown was up big against St. John's in the first game. Georgetown blew a lead, game ended, and then 
you know, Xavier went out there and lost to DePaul. And I feel like everyone felt that, okay, they were on the bubble. They just have to go there, beat DePaul. They're in the tournament, which obviously a tournament that didn't ever happen. But um, that to me seemed like, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did this. And I just, I guess they kept doing that. And Xavier, who is, you know, I guess this is, this is year 10, but for me, someone that grew up in this area has followed Georgetown um, in a lot of different ways since I was very young. Um, it, it just seems like Xavier's still one of the new kids maybe, but yeah, you know, this is a lot of ambition, I think. And, you know, I think it's, it, it really says something about the program. So, like I said, you guys are eight and three the other night, um, finished off the non-conference with a win over Southern. It was kind of lackluster or maybe sort of ho-hum, I guess, for a little bit. But when you look at the box score, something we used to do here when Georgetown ran the Princeton, you look at the assists for the made field goals yeah. and it was almost one for one. I think it was 27 assists on 29 field goals or something like that. And outside of that, you know, all of your losses are good. You know, Duke was a close game. Gonzaga was a close game. Indiana, you guys beat West Virginia, basically had like a Bob Huggins sort of invitational with West Virginia. And then you got your huge yeah. rival game against Cincinnati. Got that. Just kind of let every, all, all the Georgetown fans kind of know like what to expect with uh, Xavier. Yeah, so the, I think the the first thing that you said might be one of the more revealing things about this team is the way that they share the basketball on offense. And all the offensive metrics back that up. I think on Ken Palm, they're the number 12th or 13th ranked offense in the country. They're number four in the country in assist rate. I think they, they, um, they have assists on like 68% of their made field goals. So the ball really moves. I, I've been really impressed with Sean Miller's offense and what he's been able to get out of some of these guys. All five starters average in double figures. And their their offense is clearly their strength, especially when, when we're going to talk about their defense, because that that to me is the thing that has held this team back a little bit. You talk about those three losses to Indiana, Duke, and Gonzaga. Well, Indiana, they had a shot. They had a game-winning shot that rattled out um, with, like, two seconds left, and that's how they lost that one. Duke, Duke, they just had a weird night where Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle both happened to be off on the same night, which doesn't really happen that often. I think Nungy went one for 13 from the field, and, and he's one of their best players. Um, and then that Gonzaga game, like, they were up 71 to 64 um, in the closing minutes. And Gonzaga just could not miss. I think Gonzaga made their their last six shots from the field, and I think three of them were three pointers. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like real real quick. I just want to say I'm very jealous that you were out in Portland. Yeah, it was fun. That was my first time. Well, it's just nice that Xavier got to go because Georgetown chose to back out of the PK80, and then I want to say either they declined PK 85 or possibly weren't invited because they backed out of the 80. So um, I can't help but look at those tweets that you had and be like, man, I wish, I wish I was in Portland. I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah. No, no, it's a, it was a, it was a cool event. Um, and I think it, it might've been weird to have Georgetown there because I think one of the things that happened was UConn was already a member of that field before they returned to the Big East. So you actually, you had three Big East teams out there with Xavier, Villanova, and UConn. So I don't, I don't necessarily know that the, the tournament would have wanted to have a fourth Big East team, but yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's definitely, it's a cool event. Um, well, Georgetown yeah. sort of solved that problem for him. 
yeah, they took care of it themselves. Um, but yeah, then you look at this team and I think after Portland, the storyline was on Xavier was, okay, you've proved that you can play with good teams, that you're competitive against ranked opponents, but can you finish? Can you close out some of these games and win big games against good teams? And then, the, of course, they did that against West Virginia. I think they outscored them like um, nine to two in the final four minutes and really just closed out that game and made it and really made a statement. I mean, West Virginia is like they're number nine or 10 in the net right now. Um, so we'll see where they're, they're at and where they rank when they really get into Big 12. But that was a good win. And then to turn around from that and go on the road, your first true road test of the year, and you beat Cincinnati. And, and I don't really know what Cincinnati's going to become, what their season's going to look like, how good they are. Yeah. Um, but anytime you can go on the road and beat your rival, I think it, it's pretty important. So, yeah, eight and three. And I think if you would have told Xavier fans before the season started, everything we just talked about, like, hey, you're going to play Duke, Gonzaga, and Indiana, and you're going to be in all three of those games at the end, and then you're going to beat West Virginia, beat Florida, beat Cincinnati, and you're going to be eight and three in the non-conference. I think all of them would have taken it. So I think I think Xavier has to be pleased with where they're at right now. But the one thing that I can't help but think about is what we already talked about at the beginning, is that the last three years, the non-conference has not been Xavier's issue. It's been they've gotten into Big East play, and they've really sputtered and just kind of sunk backwards when it gets more important, when the games really start to matter. So I think, you know, Sean Miller, that's one of the things that he's talked a lot about is getting better as the season goes on. And we're going to find out because um, – you know, if they last year they went eight and eleven in the Big East, and if you do that again, you're going to be you're going to be standing right on right firmly on the bubble again. Which is, I know Xavier fans don't want anything to do with the bubble again. <laughs> no, the bubble is not interesting if it's your team. The bubble is interesting when you're sort of watching and oh, I wonder if they're going to make it. But when it's you, it's not. Yeah. It's not the place that you want to be. So I think I think Georgetown fans are you know familiar with most of Xavier's roster. It's a pretty experienced roster. Um, what can you say about the kid from UTEP? Yeah, he's been absolutely exceptional. Sule Boom, um, and the story on him coming in was okay. He's not that big. He's uh, he's playing up against the level of competition. Obviously, he's got a new coach, a new offensive system. He's never really played point guard. He's been more of a combo guard his whole career. So I think there was this big unknown with him, like, hey, number one, can he play in the Big East? Can he play point guard? And how how quickly, how long is it going to take him to get accustomed to this new system? And it's taken him no time at all. I mean, if you've watched Xavier play this year, you know how important he is to what they do. Um, he's shooting 51% from three-point range. He leads them in three-pointers. He is absolutely elite at drawing fouls and getting to the free-throw line. He's an 87% free-throw shooter. We talked about West Virginia. We talked about Cincinnati. Essentially, the reason that Xavier won those games is because at the end of the game, Sule got, got fouled. He, he went to the line, and he made free-throws. And that's something that has really been missing from Xavier the last few years is having a point guard who can score, having a point guard who can shoot, having a point guard who in end-of-game situations 
they they just something clicks and they're able to take over and go win you a basketball game. So I think if if there's anything that I think gives Xavier fans hope that this season might go different than years past, it's a guy like Sule Boom and sort of the attitude that he brings to that point guard position. It's hard to know when you just look at a roster and you see what grade or you know what what class the players are in. Are any of these guys have eligibility for next year. I know that's a far way off, but I'm just sort of interested in who we might expect yeah. to, to see again. That's the uh, the big sort of question that's lingering for Xavier this year because Sule Boom, who we just talked about, he's out of eligibility after this year. So he's a true one-and-done transfer. Adam Kunkel, another one of their starters, one of their better shooters, a really good offensive player. This is his fifth year as, yet, as well. This is a uh, – Basically, I don't know if it's his COVID year or what or what we want to call it, but he's yeah. out of he's out of eligibility after this year. And then the interesting three are the other three starters because Colby Jones is only a junior, and if he wanted to, he would have a COVID year and a senior year, so he could theoretically stay for two more years after this year. But he's on some draft boards, okay. Um, so he's like projected to be a second round draft pick by a lot of people. So. I think a lot of Xavier fans are nervous that he might be gone after this year. And then Jack Nungy, his, uh, this is his sixth year in college. And believe it or not, he would have one more <laughs> year if he wanted it. So Jack, Jack started at Iowa. Yeah. And while he was at Iowa, he had two um, season-ending knee injuries. So he got two medical redshirt years at Iowa. And he actually graduated from Iowa um, with a four-year degree, came over to Xavier. This is his second year at Xavier. And he, so he still has a COVID year, too, if he wants it, which is just – I he has said basically that this is his last year. But um, I think you, you never really know. Um, it's probably going to depend on how the season ends, what happens, what his, pro, his professional prospects look like. And then Zach Fremantle is is a senior, but he would have a COVID year too if he wanted it. So um, there's some question marks there as to as to who's going to be back next year. But um, they do have two freshmen that I really like, Desmond Claude, who's a point guard. You'll see him play extended minutes tomorrow night at Georgetown. And then another guy, Cam Kraft, um, who doesn't play as much, but he's got some real upside. He's a, he's a sharpshooter. I think they're just trying to get him up to speed in terms of like defense and rebounding and really playing with toughness. But yeah, so that's, that's a big reason why this first recruiting class was so important for Sean Miller. And I think right now they have the number 13 recruiting class. They got four guys and they're probably going to go add at least one in the transfer portal. And then I think Sean wants to go add like an international guy. So we could have six new players on Xavier's roster next year. Well, we're definitely very familiar with that at Georgetown. Uh, new players <laughs> from year to year is definitely one of the one of the consistent things. Talking to Adam Baum from the Cincinnati uh, Inquirer on Twitter, it's Adam, and then I guess I'm assuming your middle initial J Baum. You can find yep. him there. He's a good follow. I follow him there. You know, in talking about the kids that might continue to play, one of the things that have factors in is NIL. What's your sense of how NIL is going with the Xavier men's basketball? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to really yeah. um, get a grasp just because 
you know, they, there are initiatives and things that they've done. Like they started this uh, this musketeer gear clothing line, which is designed by the players, and they, they sort of run the company as interns, and they create all their own merch, and they get you know the majority of sales from that stuff. So that's been beneficial. But ultimately, like I think NIL is going to come down to like donors and, and just people with money that are like, hey, I want. I want you to stay here another year or I want, I want you to stay here three years. And that's the stuff that I don't necessarily think that we'll hear about, but it's probably going to happen. Um, I don't know the state of that at Xavier, but I do know how important it is. Like Colby Jones, for instance, um, who's a draft prospect, he signed a deal with an NIL agent over the summer. So he actually, like he is an agent working on, NIL deals for him, which is a sign of, of where we're at in college basketball right now. I know, I know how important it is. It's like when they bring recruits on campus or they start recruiting a kid, it's one of the first questions that gets asked. Um, so the, Xavier does have an NIL fund, which like fans can direct, donate directly to. So it's definitely like, it's, it's a very important part of the, this whole puzzle that, that is college basketball right now. It's just, it's hard to know like what impact it's really having yet at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then it's funny, you know, basically what you said, and I totally agree with it, but it's sort of the way that NIL is not supposed to go, which is basically donors deciding that they want to do X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's supposed to be the things that you mentioned before that, um, but it is what it is. And I'm definitely not against players getting money. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sound like I'm anti that, but it is just sort of, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's sort of going in the way that it maybe wasn't intended to go. Well, and, and my, my question is where, where does it end? Is there ever going to be a cap on this sort of thing or <laughs> how is, how is it going to be legislated? Cause I just saw something this week about Ohio state football and them getting outbid for a five-star recruit. Um, you know, and I don't know how true these numbers are, but I saw it was like the kid wanted 1.8 million to sign with the school. And then he wanted like $800,000 a year guaranteed for every year that he stays at the school. It's like that, you know, I know that a lot of these big time programs can probably afford stuff like that, but at what point does it end? And at what point does like, is it just going to keep going up? Are those numbers going to remain like just continue to climb that that's where my curiosity is in all of this is that is is it ever going to level off? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely well, also, uh, it's a, also too, you know, what happens if, you know, how binding are these NIL contracts? Cause they're not with the school, right? They're with, this outside factor yeah and what if you know the kid was starting and then all of a sudden he's not because he got hurt and you know there's all kinds of gray areas or maybe like things that you wouldn't consider that would that would go into this you know if you come in with a great nil but then you end up you know i mean there's look even in the pros there's guys don't that don't make it out i mean deciding that someone is a five star in high school that doesn't always translate, right? Unfortunately, as as we know, sometimes yeah. two stars come out of nowhere and four and five stars end up just not having what it takes. So how do you enforce who's getting that money and how, how it continues? Yeah, it's uh, it, it feels like the wild, wild west a little bit right now in college, in college athletics. But 
I don't know. I like you said, I'm I'm definitely not I'm definitely not against these guys getting paid and things like that. And I'm sure I've actually thought about this and it's pretty depressing. Like there's going to come a time where a, a young man that I'm covering on Xavier's team is making more money than I am. <laughs> it, it may, it may already be happening. Like, yeah, I think that's wild to think about. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something I hadn't thought of. So that, you know, it's still, it's still before noon. So you don't want to, I don't want to get too, uh, too discouraged with my work day. Um, no, that's a good point. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of, of the Wild West, you know, like you said, there were chances with taking Sean Miller back. Yesterday, obviously, big news came out about him, and basically everything came out good for him. Yep. Yeah, it was uh, it was the cloud sort of hanging over that hire. Um, and I remember as soon as soon as Sean's name got floated out there as as the top candidate, it was like, well, okay, you're going to hire this guy, but what's his punishment going to be? Because the 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 range in outcomes was drastic. You know, I did a lot of research on this when he was a, a candidate and it's like, you know, you could look at Bruce Pearl as an example and Bruce Pearl got a two game suspension. That was his second, the second time he's been hit with an infraction. Well, the other side of that was a guy like Mark Godfrey at NC state who got in trouble for something similar to what Sean was accused of doing. And he got a, a one year show call. So it was like, okay, you're going to hire this guy. Is he going to be suspended for two games, for four games, for 10 games? Is he going to miss an entire season? So there was like a, a big question mark around Sean Miller. And I think one of the things that helped Xavier in this whole process is Xavier's athletic director, Greg Christopher, he's the former chair of the NCAA Committee on Infractions. So he has intimate knowledge of how all this stuff works what these committees are looking at, all the things, the factors that go into it, what's being weighed. Um, so I think that was a, a really calming presence for Xavier to be like, okay, we're going to look at this and we're going to take our time. And to their credit, you know, you say they took their time. They, they took their time and they also moved pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, yesterday it came out, the IARP, which is this, this panel that the NCAA created to handle complex cases. They also handled Memphis and Louisville recently. They're also going to handle um, Kansas and LSU. And then after that, this whole, this IARP will cease to exist. It will be no more. Um, but they came out yesterday with their ruling on Arizona and they found that Sean, they essentially exonerated Sean Miller, um, you know, because the NCAA hit Sean with a level one violation for lack of coach control. They said, you know, you weren't overseeing your assistants who were getting in trouble, who were doing stuff they weren't supposed to be doing. And so they hit him with this level one violation. Well, the IARP came back and they said, yeah, we disagree with that. We think that Sean was doing what he was supposed to be doing. His assistants were acting outside of his purview and we deem that, that he did not know what they were doing. And you can agree with that or disagree with that. Um, I think, I think it, it's certainly great news, though, for Sean Miller that, that it turned out the way that it did. And he's not going to miss any games. He won't be suspended at all. And it's, hard, it's crazy to think that this was, this was five years. For five years, this thing was hanging over Sean Miller's head and his assistants. 
and now you you get this final verdict and his assistants did get hit pretty hard one of them mark phelps got a two-year show cause um the other one book richardson who actually went and served three months in federal prison for this whole um, pay-for-play scandal he got a 10-year show cause and i think that was more because he didn't cooperate with the investigation he didn't show up to the hearing he didn't do essentially what was necessary to sort to try to clear his name or to try to make amends or accept his consequences for his actions so but here we are man i didn't i didn't think that sean would get nothing um i was sort of in the camp i thought he might get like two to four games so i was pretty surprised yesterday when it came out yeah um without knowing everything involved with everything just from where I'm sitting, just outside of D.C., it does seem a bit hard to think that. And it's good for Sean Miller. It's good for Xavier. It does seem a little bit it, – it's hard for me to imagine that assistant coaches weren't conversing with the head coach at all. But, again, I don't – I didn't look over all the facts. I don't I don't know all the information. It, yeah. it does seem a bit hard to believe. No, I, and I think that that's probably most people's reaction, that, like, you know, you, you were the guy in charge. Um, how how do you not know? And then the flip side of that is like, you know, Sean was looked at by, not just by the IARP. Okay. So he was, he had a hearing with the IARP. They ran a full investigation. The NCAA had its own investigation and the FBI investigated it. And none, none of those three were able to, to make anything stick to Sean Miller. Maybe he's just, the craftiest dude of all time um or maybe this is just like the state of college hoops where um people pe- people at the top can can sort of survive this sort of thing i don't know but i think i think your reaction is probably a very human one one that a lot of people share in that man i you know how do how do you not how are you not aware that these guys under you are are blatantly breaking the rules but the iarp obviously felt differently so Xavier opening up the Big East, Capital One Arena, Friday, 6.30, against a Georgetown team that is a completely different team than you saw last time. You saw Georgetown and Xavier play. Um, new coaches, new players, but not a lot's changed. Uh, last season, obviously, they went winless in the Big East. Um, they followed up with a not-so-difficult uh, non-conference schedule. They're 5-6. and six. Last year, they were 6-5. and five. I'm assuming that when Xavier joined this league, you kind of look and you say, wow, you know, Georgetown's in this league, Villanova's in this league, um, you know, St. John's obviously hasn't been a consistent uh, high-level program for a long time. Um, but you got, you know, Marquette, um, you know, Seton Hall and Providence have improved. What is the take of the Cincinnati area, the Xavier fan base of Georgetown? Like, what do you guys see from afar from a team that, you know, under Patrick Ewing, they made the Big East, or they've made the NCAA tournament once, and that came off of just a crazy four-day run in a um, fanless MSG environment. What's sort of the feel? Are you guys surprised Patrick Ewing's back? Kind of just let me know and let all the listeners know what what people think about Georgetown. Yeah, I, I think it's it's fair to say that people are a little surprised that that Patrick Ewing is back, but I think on a larger on a larger picture. I think that the way Xavier fans sort of portray Georgetown is like you you want Georgetown to be good. 
you know, because for the sake of the Big East, like Georgetown is a name. So so do we. (laughs) They're they're a brand, you know, they're they're a name brand in college hoops. And the whole league is better when Georgetown's good. And I, I think that Georgetown's in this, they're very much between a rock and a hard place because your options, as I see them, are either Patrick Ewing sort of falls on his sword and he says, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm not the guy for this. I want to see this program do well. I'm going to step down and let someone else try to turn it around. Or that doesn't happen. And Georgetown then has to fire a hero, uh, you know, a legend at Georgetown. So to me, there's, there's no really good answer to that question of what you need to do. But I, I, I don't think they'll go winless in the Big East. Maybe you're, maybe you're less optimistic than I am. But, like, if by some chance Georgetown can't win a conference game again this year, how, how, do, you, how do you bring – Patrick Ewing like you you have to make a change at that point like you can't just say that you know at that point you would go 0 for 39 over the last two years in Big East play like that that cannot be acceptable at Georgetown I'm curious what you think of that though yeah well so Ken Palm's got him at four and 16 I think that's probably about right and I think that's 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 actually the hard part I mean clearly you know, going over again would just be just, you know, we, you can't, you just can't. Right. But I think the harder part is when I talked about with you initially, like when you look at Travis Steele's records and you're like, man, like that's pretty good. Like just under 500 yeah. in the league. I think the, I think the real thing is like, what would be the record that would give the fan base that's really been struggling to come to games? What would give the fan base of the, the hardcores that have stuck through it? reason for optimism because like you said the league's better when georgetown's better is five and 15 like can, i mean anything's going to be improvement from oh and 19 right like i mean anything except oh yeah. and 20 that would be the one record that would be not a, even one in 19 right would be would, would yeah. be an improvement so i think the real issue is like what what is enough you know because kids aren't staying you know a whole new team um, I get it's the transfer era, uh, I'm sorry, the portal era, but you know, what can you hang your hat on? So I think they've got to get closer to 500, which seems like a really tall order. I don't even think four and 16, five and 15, which right now would be kind of optimistic based on the numbers we've seen and, you know, the way that they've played. Um, so I think that that's, that's the issue is even like, what would be good enough to say, Hey, look, we're we're making legitimate improvement because before you guys were in the league, DePaul was that team that was just kind of really struggling yeah. for years and years. And, you know, there were other teams, right? I mean, you mentioned, you know, Georgetown sort of being an anchor. Well, since you guys have been in the league, Providence has been one of the anchors, right? Seton Hall yeah. Yeah. has done a good job. Providence obviously kept their coach. Seton Hall's coach, um, you know, moved on to Maryland and moved on to the Big Ten. This is a league with a lot of good coaches. And I think Georgetown fans look at it from, well, look at what Xavier did. Look at what Butler did. You know, because, you know, Jordan wasn't doing a terrible, terrible job at Butler. They made the tournament once and they were, you know, much more in the mix than Georgetown's been. So I think that's kind of, I think Georgetown fans are looking at what does Xavier do? What does Butler do under Thad Mata? And then, you know, if you've seen any of the casual Hoya tweets or if you've seen, you know, what I've sort of been retweeting from casual, the Georgetown fan base that's left really like a Rick Pitino. And that's, yeah, I've seen that. 
it, it it's hard to know how realistic that would be. You know, Rick obviously coached Patrick with the Knicks for a little bit. Um, he was a coach, you know, at Providence, and so he's got Big East experience. And that sort of seems to be right or wrong, whether if there's a 1% chance or it's 50-50. What's really keeping the Georgetown fan base alive right now is the idea that the Iona coach could maybe come home to the Big East. But that's kind of where the fan base is. Yeah, and the the interesting thing in all that is if if that's if that's maybe what you want, are you uh, are you rooting for for a down another down year where there is no optimism? So maybe that can be sort of pushed in that direction. You know what I mean? Because if if that's what you want, if you don't think Patrick is the guy and you want someone else and you want Rick to come in, well then. If Ewing goes out and wins eight, seven or eight Big East games this year, is that is that going to pour cold water on that dream? You know what I mean? So you're in this weird yeah. spot where it's like, what are you hoping to get to to happen here? So it, it's very interesting what's going to happen. But um, obviously, Rick Rick would be a headline grabber if if that did happen. Yeah, you know, years and years ago. Um, kind of maybe in the middle of JT3's time at Georgetown, uh, me and some of the other guys that cover the team always thought that Rick's final act would not be at Georgetown, but it would be at St. John's. That always yeah. that always seemed like, and this is, you know, before the Louisville Troubles, and this was just sort of like a, you know, what would kind of make sense that, you know, Rick comes back to the Big East. He always talks about how much he loves it. And um, he, he fixes St. John's in New York. He coached at the Garden with the Knicks and all that stuff. So to even think that Georgetown is a place that's sort of gaining more momentum among the fans. I'm not saying there's any momentum in in the building, in you know, on campus. But yeah. um, I, I had Andrew from Casual Hoy on the other day. And, you know, he kind of leads the charge. He's an alum. I'm not. And, you know, I kind of just said, look, you don't get a better draft pick for losing games. You know, the kids that did show up that tried to bring Georgetown back, I don't think it's fair for fans to root against it. But I totally understand your, you know, suggestion or, or you know, your your what if. And Andrew's is the same of, you know, it's hard. You know, you can root for the guys to play well, but, you know, are the fans that are left really rooting for the results? I think, you know, after this first maybe four or five games in the Big East, you'll have a better sense because, you know, he, he sort of laughed at me and I said, look, what if you catch, you know, Xavier's, you know, had a bunch of tough games. Maybe you catch Xavier on an off shooting night. Um, then Georgetown goes to Connecticut. That's probably an L. But then you've got DePaul and Butler, two of the other teams that are expected to be at the bottom of the league. So yeah. I think after the first four games, if you're sitting there at 0-4, 1-3, you're just like, here we go again. If you somehow, and I'm not, I'm not predicting Georgetown win over Xavier at all. But somehow, if you, you know, if, if something happens, you end up two and two after the first four games. I think the fans will maybe s- switch to, hey, maybe this group is gelling, as opposed to, you know, we want Rick Pitino. Um, so I yeah. think, I think you got to give a couple more games before you can go full on, uh, you know, rooting for the results to go the opposite way. Yeah. No, it's. It's it's not an enviable situation right now. It's it's probably the best way to put it in that um you're either you're either making moves and like climbing the ladder a little bit and showing improvement mm-hmm. or you're throwing your hat you're tossing your hat into the ring and you're just saying, All right, we need to pull the plug on this. But I am curious for your perspective, like is there anything that you feel like this Georgetown team does well 
or that like might be a difference in a game like tomorrow night against Xavier? Man, so <laughs> their defense that you know, one of the things that they've struggled with the entire time under Patrick is defense defending. They brought in Kevin Nickelberry, who uh, had been a coach at Howard locally. He was at LSU. He took over when Will Wade got in trouble at the end of the year. And Patrick went out and said, this is my, you know, like football, this is my defensive coordinator. And there's really been no improvement from last year or from the first four, the first three years. Georgetown was pretty good the year they won the Big East tournament. So I've, I've got the record. I don't have it on me right now, but if they don't score at least like 70, 75 points, their record is just, it's really poor. So yeah. the keys to success for Georgetown would be to get the game going at a high tempo, obviously score so they can press a little bit. They don't win games. Like college basketball games are won often in the 60s and the 70s. They don't ever do that. It's got to get up to 75, 80. So they've got to find a way to score a lot and, it's really hard to 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 paint a picture to find a path that they could win a game like yeah. this. Basically, if, if Xavier is sharing the ball like they have been and making threes, Georgetown's three point defense has been just consistently poor. So basically, it would in, it would involve Georgetown's offense clicking, and they're basically just going to need Xavier to miss a bunch of shots. I mean, that yeah, it sounds pretty simple. When when they put Kudus Wahab on the floor. Um, they struggle if you can bring your big out at all. Like he really struggles in pick and roll. He really struggles trying to guard outside of the paint. Their point guard, the transfer from Duquesne, Primo Spears and Brandon Murray from LSU and Jay Heath from Boston College, they'd all have to sort of be on at the same time, I think. Um, they, they, they just, this has been the problem. They struggle to win college games. And obviously they're a college team and that sounds kind of silly to say, but I just, I'm, what I'm trying to say is they can't, they can't win low scoring defensive college like slugfests. Like it's 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 gotta get up there. And they always they don't really have the shooters to do it. So did I answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I was I was just curious for your perspective on, you know, if there's, you know, if there's a path or there's a something that you think they can really hang their hat on and, and maybe steal a game like this. But I will say, like, you know, you mentioned that about Kudus Wahab. Um coming away from the basket like they're gonna they're gonna bring Jack Nungy up beyond like and he can hit threes they use him a ton in that high ball screen pick and roll situation um so if he struggles with that you know that that might be something that Xavier exploits pretty heavily yeah and you know honestly I you know and I'm not I'm not smarter than Patrick Ewing at basketball I'm not gonna pretend I am but here comes my butt I think that given their roster, I think we are seeing more and more zone, like zone out of, you know, out of like TV timeouts, um, you know, different ways just kind of switch the the pace and the flow of the game. But um, if they just try and switch, you know, Ryan Matumbo hasn't been playing. Obviously, that's a name that Xavier fans are going to be familiar with just because, you know, he hasn't really gotten a chance to show a lot at the college level, but obviously his dad and he's at the school where his dad played. Um, they can sometimes just sort of be big in a zone, I think would help them more when they go smaller with a cook who starts as their four. So basically their backup center is their starting power forward. They can maybe do some stuff there, but when they do that, they get crushed on the boards. It's just hard to find a path when your whole team is new. And I, I totally understand the need to bring in transfers after last year. I mean, you can't go 0 and 19 and run it back with everybody. 
but I think they would have been better served if a couple of the kids could have stayed. Um, yeah. Uh, the Big East tournament MVP from a couple years ago, Dante Harris, you know, wasn't with the team. He was still listed on the roster. He entered the portal last week. So they only have one real point guard again. Um, it's, you know, look, when you're, when you're struggling, you know, the, the longer you look at it, the more you can see why. And, it, you know, it's just, it's just, it, I think it'd be hard for an experienced coach to come in with a, with, a, with a roster with so many different players. Even if Sean Miller had taken over last year, you have a whole new team. Like, you know, he's been, you know, fortunate. Xavier brought a lot back. And then you kind of yeah, fill in sure. with the freshmen and uh, the uh, transfer portal guys. So, so yeah, Georgetown, we need to speed it up somehow, force turnovers, get easy baskets, and then defend the three better or just, you know, hope that Xavier's having an off shooting night. And I think that's, that's probably the path to being a close game in the last five minutes. Yeah, well, we will we'll find out in about, uh, what, 30 hours or something. Yes, yes. I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know that, you know, there's been a lot going on in Xavier's, um, Xavier's yeah, world, and you got to fly me. in. So Adam from the Cincinnati Inquirer. Is it Cincinnati.com or Cincinnati Inquirer? Yeah, it's, it's that they're basically the, they're the same thing. So Cincinnati okay. Inquirer. That's their website, Cincinnati.com. Okay, so it's Twitter. Twitter is still a good thing right now. Hopefully we can figure out a way to, yeah. for Twitter <laughs> to survive. But it's at Adam J. Baum, uh, B-A-U-M. And I want to thank you for yep. coming on Kente Corner. We'll have to catch up tomorrow night, and then we'll see what the return game is like. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. I'll keep an eye out for you in the media room. <laughs> All right, thanks, Adam.